What does it feel like to stand in someone else's shoes? To see the world truly from their perspective and to understand their point of view more deeply and fully? This is the question we asked ourselves that led to the creation of Applied Empathy. I'm Michael Ventura, the founder of Subrosa, a strategy and design practice that uses empathy as a tool to solve complex problems for leaders and the organizations they serve. This podcast is an ongoing project that explores questions of identity, perspective, self-awareness, and growth. It's intentionally unfussy about being pristine or perfect. You might hear a ringer go off in the background or a stutter step in a response, because that's what life is really like. It's imperfect. And if we take the time to see it and to understand it as such, we learn that the imperfections are actually quite perfect. This 10-part season was recorded to correspond to the reissue of my first book, Applied Empathy. In it, we will chat with leaders from all walks of life and learn how empathy plays a role in the work they do for their teams and for themselves. I hope it helps open your perspective and illuminates new ways of seeing the world. Today, I'm joined by Damien Kulash, the lead singer of the band OK Go and the creator and director of many of the band's iconic videos. Hey, buddy, it's good to have you on the show. Welcome to Applied Empathy. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Uh, you know, we've talked about a little bit of this in the past, but one of the things that this conversation is obviously going to revolve around is the idea of empathy. And someone like yourself, who's constantly creating art, who's making stuff every day in every way, shape and form imaginable. I was thinking about you and wondering, is there any sort of muse or is there a particular perspective other than your own that you put yourself into at points when you're creating? Or is it really just sort of a, a, a piece of work for yourself? Uh, no, I mean, I, 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 it's definitely not just for myself. Um, I, I think that I, I have over the, um, course of, of, of a career or, uh, you know, a lifetime, um, gotten more um, calculated and aware of my own instincts, um, in terms of what I want to make or what I'm good at making or what would be what the next right, what the right next step is in any given project. But um, other than that, it is mostly thinking from somebody else's perspective. Um, I think that uh, it's, there. there's a sort of um, a v- a vague and average other that you're thinking of. You know, <laughs> like, um, yeah. That, because it's, if you don't, if you can't, critically assess your own work from the perspective of somebody who doesn't care about it, um, then, then you're making something just for yourself in, in the worst way possible. I mean, there, there are, there's a good way of making something for yourself, following your own instincts, following your own um, truth and following your own muse and all of that. Um, but there's also a, a sort of um, solipsistic version of that, which is, which is sort of like um, believing your own ego or, or, um, having no perspective on the thing that you've made. So um, I, I'm sorry, I'm being so abstract, Michael, but... Um, no, 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 this is exactly what I was wondering because I'll, I'll tell you sort of the question under the question for me, which is that, you know, we as service providers in our business, right, we get folks who come out of MFA programs and want to come here and make art. 
And one of the one of the things that I often talk about with folks is that we are in the commercial art business. We're not in the fine art business. And you have to get comfortable with having to perspective take and to have a client on the other side who, you know, you might really believe it needs to be red. And if you put red in front of them the first time and they say, I really want it to be blue, you might try red a second time and give them like a half-assed version of blue. But if on the third occasion, they still haven't bought red, you better give them a damn good blue, you know? And I think it's sometimes that's a hard thing for people to reconcile who are so creative and so artistic, but yet at the same time need to make a a, a commercial uh, existence out of it. Yeah, I, I have a, 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 a long list of thoughts on this, but I will start with this one, which is that I, when I first got out of school, I worked as a, um, a, a radio engineer at, uh, at NPR in Chicago and um, as a freelance graphic designer um, in the first dot-com boom. So it was 1998, and there was a lot of work in, um, at, at ad agencies who didn't um, who didn't know how to get online fast enough? Uh, mm-hmm. Because you know there was all this stuff, and I and I had um, I had learned Photoshop much uh, earlier than most people do, um, and I was you know a, I have a very good visual brain, and so I could come I I could I definitely fit I checked off all the boxes that you would need to 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 be a a freelance graphic designer for these ad agencies, and I I got a lot of work, and I was a terrible graphic designer. Um, and the and the reason was that I, like I really could I could make something cool I could make something exciting I could make something I loved as long as I was setting the rules but I was very bad at working within a a, a, a sort of prescribed uh, canvas so I I remember um, the thing the the time it struck me most I was doing a, a something for the um, for Pillsbury, and they, you know, the, the the agency creatives had had, you know, this whole big thing. Go, like everything was all settled. I, I don't get to make any creative decisions here. What you got is a, a piece of copy given to you by the copy editor, a color, a font, um, an aspect ratio, you know, a file size, and um, and this and and the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you got to make something with that. Um, and you've got almost no wiggle room. And I and I would um, put something. I would put one one version of it together, and try some changes, and put another version of it together. And between the two of them, I I really couldn't decide. Like they were both, from my perspective, they were both awful. Um, and so, and there's kind of no way to move forward at that point. And my boss would come over, um, and and like in. 20 minutes whip up something way better all within the same confines. Um, and it was, but it was clearly better. And I remember him saying like, um, the, the, the challenge in graphic design is not to make something great. It's to make something great within your limits. And that if, if you can't do it, his, 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 um, go-to for this was if you can't do it in black and white, um, then you shouldn't do it at all. Like basically like if you're not, if, if you can't be given, um, these very specific rules and and figure out a solution, then you're not really doing the project. You're doing a different project. Um, and that was about the time I realized that like, I, I, I'm bad at this. And I, and I, <laughs> I should start making some music. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was, I was already, you know, my, my, it, the band what, was already there. Yeah. My band was going and, and what, what became clear to me was that I could do eight hours at the ad agency, um, 
during the day and I would be wasted tired having gotten very, very little done. Um, and then I'd go have like six or eight hours of practice with the band at night and I could do that. Um, uh, you know, I'd had infinite energy. We get to the end of the practice and I'd, I'd be like, wait, it's, it's already two in the morning. I can't believe it. You know, like, um, that, that if I am chasing the creative process, like if you, if you put it into a, um, the framework of binary decisions, which it really isn't, but it, you can kind of boil it down that way, right? Like you're, you, um, do you want that, do you want that letter bigger or smaller? You know, do you want the, do you want the heavier font or the lighter font? Do you want the, you know, do, do you like this tempo or do you want it slower? Do you want it faster? And, um, you know, you, 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 you make these decisions really, really quickly over and over and over again. And they're mostly invisible to you because you're picking the good one versus the bad one. When you don't have any investment in the thing you're doing, it's really easy to have it be the bad one versus the bad one, or the medium one versus the medium one. Right. And you and your wheels just spin, and it and it uses all of the same internal resources. You know, it's like it, it's what whatever glucose that's burning, or whatever you know spirit that is is chewing away at. Um, it, you're you're spending it just as fast when you're working on the on the Pillsbury Doughboy as you are on your rock song. Um, and if you can't get anywhere, it's like, it, it's, it really is like, it, it's the picture of Sisyphus, you know, it's right. Like, right. Exactly. And I, I, I mean, what it did teach me a little bit was that, 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 um, I, you know, that I better, I, I better get good at, uh, at understanding my own boundaries. And this gets back to your question of, of empathy is like, if, uh, I, I was very clear by the time we were playing our first sort of shows that um, it wasn't about whether or not I felt cool on stage or scared on stage or um, whether I performed this well or did not. It, it was whether or not I, as an audience member, would want to see this again. Whether or not I would tell mm-hmm. my girlfriend or my boyfriend or my you know little sister that that band I had seen last night was good, you know, um, and that I, that if you. If you're ex- if you accept that the 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 stuff you're making um, is for an audience, then you need to assess it from the perspective of that audience. Right. Yeah, I think that's a really good reminder. You brought up something a few minutes ago. I want to go back to. Uh, so you and the band have been together for a long time. How long is it's? I mean, it's over twenty years, right? Right. Our first show was 1999. So twenty years ago, around this time, was our first show. Our, we've been, you know, our first practices were late 1998. Amazing. Um, so, so with that, you know, there's, there comes that thing that happens with creative teams, right? Where you spend a lot of time together, you start to develop that, that shibboleth, that kind of secret language that you speak with each other. And I'm just wondering, what are some of the things you found are critical to keeping a, a creative team, which is emotionally charged and super personal and going through your twenties and thirties together? It wasn't like you guys really were, you know, all grown up and knew who you were. You kind of had all those awkward growing pains together too. What, what kept you guys together over all these years? Oh man. Um, uh, luck. <laughs> it's, it's a real factor for sure. Right. It, it, I mean, luck and 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 uh, mutual respect and love. Uh, there, if there were two me's in this band, um, we would have killed each other. You know, <laughs> um, if there were two, you know, Tim, Tim uh, our bassist, too, of course, you know, but um, yeah. he, he, if there were two Tims in this band, uh, they probably would have killed each other also. You know, um, 
they're too nice. Tim's, Tim's are very nice. They might not have killed each other, but um, it would have gone a very different path. Let's, let's put it that way. Um, it, Tim and I met when we were 11 years old and um, the band didn't start until we were 22, 23, something like that. Um, so we had been friend, long distance friends. We met at summer camp um, uh, and he grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I grew up in, in DC. So um, we, we were like long distance friends through junior high and, and high school and then college. And um, so by the time the band started, it was, it, it was a it was a dream come true because we got to make stuff together. The, our sort of like childhood dream of making stuff together was now um, hopefully going to be a job, and then eventually it was a job. Um, and I would say that the the uniting force throughout the um, decades has shifted. It, it, it In the beginning, it, there was a little bit like, it, it was almost like a common enemy thing, um, which is uh, that that the thing you want to do is so incredibly unlikely. Um, is it, the, the odds are stacked so hard against you that everybody in your trench is your best friend and is on your team because like, there's just no, like you got to take every shot you get You've got to, um, every, every time you are pitched a ball, you have to swing like 50 times at it. You know, like you have to like go right. so overboard trying as hard as you can on, on every front that, um, there's, I, I mean, I guess that leaves people in, 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 um, sort of amped up circumstances where they can get in fights, which is, which is why so many bands explode in that way. For us, it was just sort of like, um, it, it it wasn't till we were in our thirties that we ever actually stopped to go like, are, are, do we like this? You know, like, <laughs> right. It was go, go, go. And so all that. Right. like, yeah. are we, are we creatively satisfied? Do we like the things we're making? Do we, you know, all of that. It was just like the, I remember the art, the, the, the struggles in the beginning were, um, you, you know, I mean, first of all, just getting, getting any, anyone within the sort of, um, the, the power structure to, uh, allow for a little toehold. You know, we, we didn't need um, a major label. We didn't need we didn't need the sort of like uh, the the kind of prescribed route, but we did need some way of getting out of the practice space and into other people's you know Walkman or whatever was existing at the time. Um, and you know that that's a long and uh, predictable. Right? Like you've heard that story a million times. I, I the 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 moment I remember um, as a as a sort of example of what we're talking about. I don't know why this comes to mind, but um, after we had been signed to a major label four years into the process or something, um, our first record had not yet come out of the first uh, capital record. And um, we had to sign off on a promotion where our um, songs were, our, our single was going to be included on a CD and that CD was going to be used as the top of a like 600 ounce uh coca-cola that you could get at mcdonald's it was like some you know this like yep. think of how giant a cd is for a top of a thing and i think we i think we argued for like i, I mean it must have been like a, a three or four hour debate not really argue but just was sort of like a debate about whether or not we could do this like you know, the, I, I think Fast Food Nation had recently come out and um, it, we, we just like every move we made at that time felt like it was the like the whole statement of who we were. And um, can we support like 
McDonald's shoving corn syrup down the kids' throats and like right. in these obscene quantities and everything. It was like, it all felt like such a big deal. And it is it's hilarious to me now looking back because it felt like such a big deal. And you realize that those are there's so many of those decisions along the way. There's so many tiny little ones, and you just kind of you have to sort of develop your your gut sense and your and, and a set of litmus tests that things have to pass so that you don't have to like re re litigate this every time it comes up. Um, but it was that's those were the moments that we could actually find any difference between ourselves because there was there just was no question about about whether or not we were going to go the extra you know stay up the extra hour to to finish this song or. Um, you know, like stay after the show for an extra hour trying to collect people's email addresses or you know, like just whatever it was. Like we were just, I mean, we used to, um, we used to go wheat pasting in Chicago like three nights in a row all night, um, you know, a month before each show. Like, and these are for small clubs in Chicago that hold like, you know, 300 people. We would, we would make 2000 hand silk screens posters and, we paste them all over Chicago. And that itself was a really super fun creative project. Like it allowed us to hang out together and it allowed us to like silkscreen things and it allowed us to go like, you know, vandalizing in the middle of the night. It was like an, an actual right. fun thing to do. Um, but there was never a question of whether, uh, like no one ever was like, you know, I feel like I'm going to, I, I want to sleep in tomorrow. Right. That yeah, that that common sort of uh, eye on the prize, and just like the the friendship that gets born out of that, and yeah, you want to just do stuff together, so you keep doing stuff, and it, it snowballs. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I re- yeah, I realized m- midway through that silence that I had not at all answered your question. Um, the no, I, th- I think you did, but go ahead if you want to. If you want to put a punctuation mark on it, what do you have? Well, it's just, I mean, it's it's mostly just that like by it it. it um, by the time we were in our thirties, it was sort of like we had realized what we had learned and what we hadn't, you know, yeah. um, that what we, what we were good at musically, what we were bad at, what, where we were, where we were, um, uh, pulling our punches creatively because we were, um, you know, as much as you tell yourself, I'm doing exactly what I want to, it's very, very hard not to be affected by, uh, what's successful right now or what, um, you know, what, what thing you don't think deserves that opportunity but got it anyways you know um yeah all that stuff uh, it's very hard to say sort of true to your um what you believe to be your your own internal compass when you don't know what on the outside is like where the magnets on the outside are, are pulling you you're just sort of chasing that thing and by the times we were, by the time we were in our 30s we had we were both um working extraordinarily hard and and it still was um it, it was still the, the the numbers were still such that like if you don't take the opportunity tomorrow this probably will all implode so you know it's like um we've gone through 13 months of tour but now this big band has offered you an opening slot do you want to do another th- three months um without going home you know and and yeah. we it, nobody really wanted to do it but nobody even thought about no as an answer you know it just we just kind of um kept kept plugging through and and um but started to realize i think where where our uh you know where our creative strengths and weaknesses lay and and what it was we wanted to do and what was um what was satisfying to us and i would say it's like you know now we're in our early 40s and 
it's really the first time I can think um, in my adult life where I, I feel I feel pretty convinced that if I say no to something, I will still have more opportunities next week or the week after that, or you know, um, and that we have a little more um, stewardship over over the the way our life gets lived, you know. Yeah, and I think that that's it's a, actually a good segue because you you do a lot of stuff, right? Like it was hard to think about a way to introduce you that was all encompassing because you sing, you write, you play music, you direct, um, you've made a mobile app with other members of the band. I mean, like there's a lot of stuff you guys have done and that you've personally done. And I always find that that's a, it's an interesting topic that comes up for me too. People are often either intimidated or discouraged to be on the path of a polymath, right? They're like, Oh no, no, no. Like you need to focus. You need to do one thing really well. And you and I have talked about this in the past and neither of us are really good at doing just one thing. If you look at it at a, at a tactical level, but when I pull back, I'm pretty clear that actually everything I'm doing is there's a through line. There's a, there's a, there's a thread through all of it that makes everything I'm doing that might look schizophrenic to someone at the ground level. But when you go up to 10,000 feet, you're like, Oh no, that's like, I see that. Is there something like that for you? Is there, is there a through line that you say like, yeah, I do seem like I do a lot of things, but I'm really doing this. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm definitely a, um, a generalist, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I, I really, I, I, I am very, very curious and very, very technical. Um, and I don't, but but I'm but I, I have low patience for um, the the lifelong deep dive. You know, I, yeah. I I really like going deep on on you know what it is that um, you know makes this algorithm work for this week or maybe this month, maybe even this year. Um, but the but I I, I would. I just don't have the the um, stamina to to you know be at the forefront of medicine because you have to you have to keep your eye focused on this one thing forever you know um, yeah and uh, what that what that has meant is that I I think in sort sort of I mean I'm I'm getting this a little bit from the fact that this podcast exists and from the question you just asked that like. It forces people like us to, um, you know, if 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 you are a a self-critical or analytical person, you wind up at some point being like, then what, like, what am I doing? What is my process? Um, is there is there anything here other than just sort of like thrill seeking and um, and uh, like you know, sort of stoking your own ego. Um, like, why, why do I want to make these things, and what connects them, and what holds it all together? And um, that itself, I think, makes you like you. I, I'm. I have a much clearer sense of of what my creative process is, and and um, what I'm good at than um, than other than contemporaries of mine that I know from college or from you know. Uh, earlier projects or whatever who are much more um who have much clearer specific goals but don't but have not but uh but don't have to have that process Do you, and so yeah much sense um it's uh, like that you get a um you wind up you, at some point i i i'm in the middle of an interview on, on uh, describing a creative process to somebody and and realize that that something that seems completely self-evident to me 
um, does not seem that to other people because they haven't spent the last 15 years going like, wait, why do I do this? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. No, for sure. And I mean, you are in many ways a, uh, like I think of, uh, in our parlance, we use this term uh, of an alchemist, right? Someone who's a real like inventor, a maker, a creator of a thing that is the, the that enjoy the the trial and error of it. Because that to me, that's that's super uncomfortable territory. I don't like the break it and make it, break it and make it, break it and make it process. Like that gives me a lot of agita to just go through that experience. But I know having known you for a while and knowing the process you go through, that like I mean, just doing a Rube Goldberg music video is is uh, is a terrifying idea to me because there's <laughs> yeah, so many failures in that before you get it right. Um, but you know, you also, uh, this is a funny little aside, but you come from a long line of inventors. Uh, and uh, one of the things I wanted to mention um, is that your grandfather is also an inventor. And I, I want to hear quickly what your grandfather invented, just because I think it'll be interesting for people. But more importantly, I want to understand what is it, what, what's a trait that makes someone good at inventing? My grandfather invented the modern fish stick. It's the best sentence ever. I know. And just, we'll just let it, <laughs> just let it sit there. It's interesting. I, I, the the follow-up of course is what, what does differentiates a modern fish stick from older fish sticks? Um, my understanding is that prior to my grandfather, you could buy frozen fish parts. So like, you know, a, you could, you could buy breaded frozen pieces of fish but he uh, was the biochemist who figured out the process by which you, um, you when, when fish is chopped up and frozen, uh, that when you, un, when you unfreeze it, it will, it will stay bound together, which I think is a, 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 a sort of natural, like, I don't think there's any additives in there. I think you just, he just realized that that was the case. Um, although I don't really know my, my grandfather, um, uh, is it has passed and I have not asked him about the, the secret family fish stick recipe didn't get didn't get passed on before well, part of the reason it didn't is because my 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 mother grew you know he he worked for um uh he, he had a, his own company called Commodore Foods I, I believe it was um is it general food there was a he he worked for a giant food corporation um shortly after the second world war and um the patent on fish stick technology he developed while he was working for them. They didn't do anything with it. So um, he like leased his own invention back from them to start his own company. And, and uh, my mother's large seven child family um, did not have very much money and his company wasn't very successful. And so they ate a lot of fish sticks. And so as a child, I never ate them because my, my mother was incredibly sick of them. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so fi- the, the fish stick, the family fish stick recipe died with him, unfortunately. Um, although I'm, I'm sure it's exactly what is in whatever box of fish sticks is. Right, exactly. But go, that idea of inventing, you know, like for, for you, do you, do you consider yourself an inventor in some way? I don't know. I, I really don't know. Cause um, I, one of the, one of the, one of the projects that I wanted to talk about, which relates to this in, in my opinion is you, your videos, everyone knows, uh, have become such a signature of the band. I mean, every time a new OK Go music video drops, the world pays attention because you've, you've always, time and again, kind of blown people's minds. And there was one idea that I think it's, you could call it uh, sort of that inventor spirit of like, I want to I do something different that people haven't seen before in a music video that's not 
VFX. Like this is this is actually happening. And you had talked with me about the the zero gravity or microgravity video for a while. And yeah, that took a lot of work. That was like a, a, a testament to the will that you had behind that idea because that wasn't something that like you were like, oh, we're gonna just go make a, a video in, in zero gravity. Like that was a process. And I know now you're also working on a project to bring student art into space. So I just love to hear a little bit about. What was that process like for you to, 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 I know there was, there were, it involved Russians, it involved, uh, you know, their vomit comet and all of these crazy things. Just tell us a little bit about that story. Um, well, I mean, I, so I, 15-ish years ago, I, I learned of the existence of those planes and um, was like with, with sort of most things that blow my mind, I was like, uh, okay, so how do we make art with that? And, um, and really wanted to do zero gravity art for a long time the problem is those planes are are uh, they're not very many of them and they're very expensive to operate and they don't do like you know if you if you want to take a joyride on one of those you pay a lot of money to do so um and so it was definitely going to be some sort of um brand funded project um and as you know i pitched it to many brands um, it turns out that that uh, most people can't be easily convinced that their product is way cooler in zero gravity. Um, and uh, so the idea sort of sat there waiting to happen um, and presumably never going to happen for a decade, basically. Um, and it was... Uh, I, I, we were just incredibly lucky that a, a Russian airline approached us and said, hey, we love your videos. What would you do if we if we let you use an airplane? And it was like, well, I know exactly what we would, you know, like, bing, we have the answer for that one. Um, <laughs> and and honestly, like, this is uh, the, the, the pros and cons of of the type of, of work we do and the type of companies we work with that, like, um, you know, United Airlines would not have made that. You know, like right, exactly. Definitely needed a a company that was that was um, that big enough to have the resources to do that, but um, but run by a small enough group of people that they could make a risky, weird choice like that without it having to be um, you know go through a million rounds of of uh, uh, you know approvals through this committee and that committee and so forth. Um, so yes, we uh, we then spent sort of six ish months. Working with that uh, with the airline to figure out if this was doable because the the only way the, that it could be brought to a sort of semi reasonable budget level was if the airline themselves donated or, or provided the fuel and so the fuel was actually trucked to the airport every morning um, outside of Moscow where we then got on the the uh, the cosmonaut training plane which is you know, it's, it's the, it's basically their NASA training jet, but they, right. you can, um, you, it, it can be rented out. Um, <laughs> especially if you happen to be the, the, the family that owns the second largest airline in, in Russia. So, um, it was a very, like, it, it was, it, it was a very, um, delicate negotiation and, and sort of like careful piecing together to make sure that everybody's interests aligned. And then that, that, like everybody actually wanted to make this thing. And I, I, um, the, the eventual creative process was we just had to take a, take a, a, like a pick a number out of thin air. How many flights do we need to make this 
happen. And I just guessed 20. It was like, uh, we'll figure it out, you know? And um, they budgeted for 20 flights. And in the end, that's what we did. I mean, we actually did 21. Um, and we did six six flights of pure play, just actually just, you know, set put GoPros up everywhere. And um, so the only thing that was sort of structured was uh, we had a PA in the back of the plane and each time we we went into zero gravity, which is about thirty seconds, um, fifteen times during each flight. Uh, so over the course of those six flights, what is that? Ninety times. Um, he did. He had something to put in the air: a can of baked beans, a uh, right. spring, uh, a, a brick, string confetti. You know, like all just trying. We, my sister, who uh, co-directed the video with me, and I we walked through a target here in Los Angeles and just tried to, like, we figured that was a, that was probably the biggest, like most diverse um, group prop shop. of, yeah, prop yeah. shop that we could find. And just, just like, what would, it, you know, we'd go down the, um, the toiletries aisle and think, does that liquid have, is there any chance that that liquid looks different in zero gravity than that liquid? Like, should we try different viscosities? Should we try different, um, uh, you know, do do we think that more transparent stuff will will read differently than uh, more opaque stuff? And you know, it, it, applying a little bit of of uh, you know um, of science and and um, good guesswork, but also leaving a lot of room for uh, the unknown. And you know, like you know, we we figure okay, a brick probably looks way cooler hanging in the air than confetti because confetti always hangs in the air. You know, right. But, you never know who like uh, like for instance. Do you think you could take a, um, a a deck of cards and just start building a little house in front of you, or do you think that the 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 air movements in the cabin would just blow that apart, or do you think that your hands are are not trained enough at leaving things um, in, so still that they wouldn't just keep floating, for instance? Like like these are all things you just can't know in advance. So and and would it be different like a deck of cards? Well, that's likely, I mean, those are so light that any tiny movement of your hand is probably going to send it floating off the wrong way. But what about a chain or what about a, um, what about a book, you know, like right. something bigger where, where it's got enough mass that if you, if you leave it pretty still, will it just stay there? And, um, and, and what, like, what is the, what does zero G really feel like from a movement perspective? So we have all these questions. We, um, we sort of parsed out as many of them as we could into things that we could assign into the, that sort of back area where we've got our PA just, okay, first you break an egg and then next you throw Cheerios and then, you know, so forth. So we've got, we've got, you know, lots of GoPro footage of him. Then the rest of us are in the front of the plane, just actually just bouncing off the walls. And for a full week, we're doing this in these, and the scientists and, and ex military Russian uh, trainers on this plane were just sort of rolling their eyes and going like, what are, like, what are these idiots doing? You know, um, we took all that footage back with us, uh, to the States for a month, um, carefully poured through it, looking for moments that were surprising and exciting and, and looked better than they felt or looked exactly as good as they felt or, uh, wow, I thought I did this amazing thing. And then look, it's kind of just boring, you know? Um, and, with that vocabulary of basic ideas, started to piece together uh, what we hoped could be a routine. Um, and, and it helped us make some decisions. Do we need, 
is there, do, should this plane be filled with seats or do we want to take the seats out of the first half of it so there's more room to move? Should there be no seats so it feels like a science experiment? But then how are you going to, like, shouldn't we somehow explain the fact that we're in this weird, long, um, plane-shaped room, you know? Uh, and all, all of these creative decisions have to get made. And by the time we get back, we have a basic idea of what we want to do. And wonderfully, all those sort of like stern Russian uh, ex-military guys had figured out what was going on that like someone must have showed them our videos. And I think the fact that we returned at all, um, that, that they, <laughs> the, the first they'd seen us bouncing off the walls and, and they thought that this was like a joy ride. And we came back with like a, a spreadsheet of like, we're going to try this and this, and we have to do all these things to figure out what, if this idea will work. And if this idea will work, can we connect it to that idea and so forth and so on. Um, it landed it into the territory of, of like an actionable, project that they could attempt to um to to solve with us and by the end of it the, they were like they were correcting our choreography if, if if andy our guitarist um hit his his pinata with the wrong the hand they like the 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 leader of this of this um group of ex-military guys would come like come sailing out from behind the screen like uh, screaming at him in Russian, like not this kill all day. Like, like he, they were really, really, <laughs> really, really invested in it. And that—that's kind of like it's a—it's a—that's a great feeling. Anyways, I'm sorry I went on much longer than you expected. That that's okay. <laughs> it, was, it was a good. It was a good ride to take. Um, thinking a little bit about that's like the hardest story to segue from now that I'm realizing that. But uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, 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 I can also, if you'd like give you a, a shorter version of it now that I just went, I think my coffee must've started working. Cause I just, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the rabbit hole was, it was, it was, it was well worth it. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I think about when I've been thinking about you guys though, and you know, in advance of, of this, I, I went back and watched a couple old videos and, you know, take, taking a look at, the the arc of the the band and its story over time and and you as I've known you over the years and things have changed in your life, um, you know you find yourself in kind of an interesting new place right now and you've got two young kids, um, so you've got this new like fatherhood layer and we were talking about this a little bit before I hit record on this, um, but I I would love to know amidst the fatherhood stuff the the accomplishment you guys have come around to in this in this band and and the notoriety that it's received and just you know you having gotten to a place where i think your your life your passion your love your work your like everything has kind of at least from from the outside looks like it's all kind of gelled i mean the big question is like what what did that take or what, what, what's on your, what was that process like for you having in the past couple of years had kids sort of reallocating your life to make all of this work together? Cause obviously that's a huge life change for you. It is. I mean, I think um, along the lines of the, of the discussion from before about just kind of uh, about um, overwhelming the obstacles in front of you uh, by sheer force of will, you know, just um, yep. that, that if, if there's an opportunity um, you know, pour six hundred percent of the of the resources needed onto it, and then and don't skip any of the opportunities next to it either, and just sort of like deplete your own self to um, to make sure that you are playing the odds. You know, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know. I, by the way, as I hear myself say that stuff o- over and over again, it makes it it, it presents a me that I um, that I'm a little uncomfortable with just because of this, like. That's how my analytical mind um, parses it. 
as I'm going through it, it never feels like that. What it feels right. it's not is, premeditated. It's like grab, 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 grab. Like, like, oh my God, we get to do this thing. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. You know, like, um, like we're going to have an opportunity to do, you know, to make a blank. Like that's going to be so fun, you know? And um, it, like I said before, it wasn't until my thirties that I started to realize that like, that there were, I, that was a finite resource. And that um, if we stayed on tour for 18 months, um, there were 18 months of other things we weren't doing. Yeah. You know, and um the, you know the 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 twenty something version of me. I'm I'm very thankful that he existed and had so much energy and did not think about um, about the inevitable um, implosion of the music industry and did not um, did not wonder like you know did, did not try to come up with an answer for a question he was definitely asking. I remember saying like, "Hey, Damien, you write music pretty slowly. What like?" how do you think this is going to work when you have to put out an album every two years and be on tour all the time? I remember asking myself that question and my answer was sort of like, I guess I'll figure it out. I don't know. Right. Like truth is I definitely never figured that out. And, um, and if I had been listening to that guy, I would have, I, I too closely, I guess I would have, you know, taken a safer route and I'm glad I didn't. Um, yeah. Well, so. however, by, by the time you get to, to, you know, 20 years later, I, um, I feel very, very, very lucky and very, very blessed to be able to um, to ask the question like, "What matters in my life, and um, and how much is it worth sacrificing uh, that for other aims?" Or, um, you know, what does it feel like to get an award? Does it, you know, uh, like we get a, we get a lot of awards, and I, it, it's very flattering, but. Um, it's it, at the moment of receiving an award, you are never actually working on that project, you know, definitionally. Right. And, um, you're always on to the next thing. And, um, it, it's pretty easy from a, from a sort of like a, a, a Boolean logic type of standpoint to be, to, to, to clearly see that, that like, what is, what is bringing you, um, satisfaction in your life? That it's definitely not the end result itself, um, but that's somehow motivating you, right? Like, like I definitely know that that achievement and um, and kind of getting to finish lines is a big, it's a big motivator for me. But it's also a an endless um, rabbit hole, you know. That there will never be, there's never a final achievement. There's never a a like a plateau you get to and go, oh well great, I've, you know, I've done blank. Um, that it's the chase that is itself satisfying and that that chase is, um, is uh, only one type of satisfaction and is actually quite like, you know, can, can be very, um, can be very addictive and very uh, unfulfilling at times. And so right. it, it, it's sort of like um, having a, enough success to um, take a step back and say, what parts of this do I care about maintaining? Um, it is, that's the part I feel very, very lucky and blessed for because it's, it, it um, you know, it's, it's like uh, pe people who live in, in um, great financial hardship. Um, money is, 
it, money is just a, a, is going to always be a struggle. You're like, whatever you just have to do whatever you need to, to have money. Right. And, um, it takes a certain amount of money to actually come to the realization that money isn't making you happy or, um, that these things aren't the, uh, th- that this doesn't have to be, um, the focus of your life, you know? And, uh, and I, and it's, I feel the same way about sort of achievement and success and, and, and creative projects that like, I know that, that, that those things make me very happy, but I also, uh, I, I'm, it's not worth spending your life on tour. It's not worth like the, it, it, you, you can very quickly like just be about yourself and your ego and blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, last question. This is, uh, this is what I'm asking everyone as, as we do this, uh, this series of these and, um, feel free to, you can make it, you know, short and sweet. You can elaborate a little on it, but in the spirit of empathy and perspective taking, what do you want to understand better? Oh man, (laughs) (laughs) everything. Um, Everything. I want to understand everything better. Uh, the, like, w- w- what do I want to understand better right right, yeah, right, now? right now? Right now, today, in this moment. Well, I mean, my kids, uh, fatherhood, filmmaking. I, I'm working on a, on a feature film with, with my wife, and um, it's a very different type of filmmaking than the videos that I've directed, and it's really, really exciting. Um, uh, but but you know honestly like like in the next six hours like I want to know if if um like if my if my if my son like has learned to stand over the little airplane yet you know what I mean awesome. um, yeah no that's 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 a perfect answer for sure um, well thank you for making the time this is this is always a, a fun ride having these types of conversations with you and uh, appreciate you sharing your perspective with us. Thanks, Michael. I, I'm sorry I'm so blabbery this morning. I, I appreciate <laughs> you. No, it's great. Thanks.